you have any questions for me? Um, I guess. I mean, I know you you booked out a good chunk of time. Uh, what's your like? I saw some that were like you know. I think when you're solo, you're a little bit shorter. But I saw some hour and a half. I saw some two hours. Like, what's your ideal length? I have no ideal length, okay. um, and and that's really a, something that you can dictate as well. Like my the way the way I approach this is um, it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no, there's no, on my side, there's no agenda or places I'm trying to make sure the conversation goes or anything like that. I'm just listening. And when something sounds interesting, asking more questions. Um, and then a lot of times, um, I'll leave the interview completely intact and sometimes I'll take out a chunk or a section of it, but for not really any of them, do I, do I do do I do heavy post production? You know, cutting it up and trying to make gotcha. it a specific type of theme or anything like that. It's really just a conversation and cool. and that's it. Excuse me. Cool. Uh, yeah, sounds great to me. Was that it? Any other questions? Yeah, that, yeah. That was just. I just wanted to check if you were like, I really want to keep these to forty five minutes now, and I, you know try to get the sense like, okay, let me get these stories in. Like, but yeah, I love free flowing ones. Okay, sweet. All right. Well, I'll just do a little, uh, uh, intro here and then, and then ask my first question and we'll get into it. Cool. Sounds good to me. All right. Welcome back to another episode of A Simple Life with Michael Jeffries. On this podcast, we're not after being right or wrong. We're just trying to keep it real. Today, I'm interviewing Mike Iamelli, a Boston-based author and marketing consultant. This conversation was one of the most fun I've had doing this podcast to date. Mike seems to bring energy and friendship wherever he goes. It was almost like we were two old friends catching up laughing, interrupting each other, and really connecting about topics two strangers would find it hard to discuss. And how could we not behave like old friends? It was Mike Iamelli, after all, the man who went viral exposing his sexual vulnerabilities to the world, the man who faced death, left his addiction to titles, labels, and power, who found his true self and has been giving it away for the past seven years with a passion that is unmistakably his. I was tempted to try and cut the episode into segments, because who doesn't like a good bite-sized podcast episode? But I decided to leave the conversation just like it came out. For those of you who find this podcast episode too long, well, I guess you'll just never experience the beautiful way Mike's stories weave together and tell his unique story. FYI, there are some swear words in the episode. And with all that said, let's get into it. guess tell me a little bit about yourself um what's your background how do you define yourself as a person as you would i mean i guess that's pretty high stakes if you were just meeting someone for the first time but like tell me a little bit about yourself yeah you know um this is always such a great question for me because i think in the past i would have you know started defining myself by labels or job titles or things i've done but you know really at my essence i'm aligned zany free unmistakable, successful, and vulnerable. 
And I know that may not make much sense yet, but um, it will in a little bit because that, you know, so my story is that I really kind of was addicted to the labels and the titles. So at like 22 years old, I started a public relations agency and I worked with a bunch of executives who were really well known. And we, you know, worked with some celebrities and some, you know, tech billionaires and people like that. And it was fun. I was an expert in healthcare reform. Hmm. And a few years later, I woke up and I was vomiting blood. Hmm. And that was obviously, you know, kind of scary as you can imagine. Um, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I went to different doctors. I went to the emergency room. And uh, in the midst of it, I had at the time two roommates. So one of these roommates was my older sister's friend. And she, uh, had, she just started dating someone and she spent half the week at his house. And so the other roommate was a guy I knew from college and he was a medical professional. And so just by default, he started, you know, taking me to appointments. I couldn't drive myself. You know, I was vomiting blood daily. I couldn't even get off the couch most days. I actually um, had an accident at work. I shit my pants at work, which was, you know, one of the lowest moments of my life. Um, I they could hardly leave the house anymore. And so as he was kind of cooking for me and taking me to appointments and helping me with things, probably two months into this, I realized I felt something different for him. And at the time, you know, I had not dated a man. I've never consciously been interested in the man. So this was weird and different for me. I was kind of like, I don't know what's happening here. Is this desperation? Do I just fear I'm going to die? And like, this is kind of connection. Mm -hmm. And it didn't feel sexual. It didn't even feel romantic necessarily. It just felt different or something. And I think you know, had this been another time in my life where I wasn't so sick, I probably would have swept this under the rug and not really thought much of it. But here I was thinking I could die tomorrow. I don't know what's wrong with me. And so I said, Hey, Barrett, most yet, like you're, you're still shitting your pants and vomiting blood and getting driven to appointments and you know nothing. And then you have these like intense feelings of attraction towards a roommate who's a man and you've never felt that sort of stuff before. Am I exactly? Exactly. Yeah. And that's basically it. So I, you know, I mean, at the time I had been kind of diagnosed with a few things. So I'll step back for a moment and say this, you know, I had based on some of my um, digestive enzyme levels, I had been diagnosed with severe pancreatitis, which was strange for someone my age. I was 24 at the time and also um, wasn't, you know, drinking alcohol all the time, wasn't eating all these like, you know, fatty foods and fried foods, which they would have expected. So that was very strange. Um, I had some, you know, infections and organs. So that was obviously something that was pretty bad. Um, And I also had probably some type of um, inflammatory bowel disorder. And so there were pieces that I was kind of sort of being diagnosed with as I went on my path but it didn't really make much sense. And so it was just kind of chalked up to there's something weird autoimmune happening here. And so while this is going on and, you know, I, I told, you know, this roommate Garrett that I, you know, have these kind of feelings. I didn't know how, I don't know how we're going to react. I don't know if this is like real, if I'm just kind of being desperate and it started. Did you freedom to do that because you felt like you might die or like, cause that's pretty high stakes. Very high stakes. Yeah. And I think that you're you're right. Like, basically, it was like, you know, and and I should say this, at the time, I was doing a lot of kind of self work, because I thought, well, let me start looking into some of these alternative therapies and some of these kind of more, um, 
I don't know, mind-body connection things. And so there's got to be stress going on here. There's got to be some level of me not living authentically. And so I did some crazy things. I mean, I remember I um, I ended up like my intern and I, I helped her um, win an award and she got like a surprise, like $800. So I, she gave me a part of it. And I just bought the entire office sushi. Like I was like, I'm just like do, using this money for that. And then I... Um, you know, I wrote a personal letter to every member of my family saying everything I've never said to them before, like good things, bad things. Like I just put that out there. You know, I was daily going to reflexology, Reiki, acupuncture, like just trying everything. So I think that built to this moment where I was kind of like, if I ever thought, if I have something, a strong emotion inside of me, I can't hold it in because my body can't even process things. And I think that, you know, so I, I said something and I was fully prepared to like, not having a friendship with him to like, like I didn't know where this was going. Right. And he had um, been in a long term, a six or seven year relationship with a woman, and they'd been broken up now for about like six months, maybe or a year. So um, he kind of maybe felt something too, and we started talking about it. And this was probably two months of conversations. You know, you know, we're condensing it now into a short interview, but this, of course, was you know a longer touch and go process, <laughs> right? Like, hey. You know, I didn't think I was into guys, but you seem really cool. What right. do you think about that? Oh, I don't know what I think about that. Yeah, that's got to be quite a conversation. And as we kind of start talking about that, we then entered into trying to figure out, is this a relationship that we want? Can this work? Um, and that probably was a two-year process. You know, I remember the first time kissing him and thinking I was really uncomfortable. Because I was like, I've never felt facial hair while kissing someone. I didn't like the sensation of it. Um, <laughs> it was, it's weird. It was very different for me. And so it was one of those things where it was kind of like two steps forward, one step back. Like we were, you know, in kind of constant communication. And that maybe didn't, kissing didn't feel good. Maybe hugging could feel good. Maybe, you know, um, we actually used porn to watch and say, like, is this something we could be interested in? You know, I think. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't great about porn, but one thing I think that was wonderful here is it allowed us to safely explore desire without having to physicalize something that didn't feel comfortable or safe. Mm -hmm. And so we could watch together and say, like, could I be interested in that? Could that be something we could talk about? And um, I mean, again, like everything's glamorous in retrospect. So this sounds, you know, a little bit easier than it was, but it was a long process. And I'm also a person who's pretty open in my life with friends and family. And this was something that he wasn't necessarily ready to tell a lot of people. Yeah. And so this was something I had to keep secretive, you know, while I was in this, like in love, basically in this loving relationship, um, we didn't tell our family for about those two years. And so that was really hard for me as well. I mean, I told friends increasingly as Garrett got more comfortable, but um, I remember we kind of set a date that like we, we moved in just the two of us. We want, we, we lived there for about three months and said, if this is real, if this works, then we'll tell people, because if this is just like a, you know, fluke, like you have to understand I was still sick. And so there was the power of me, like, is this still just desperation? Is this like a real thing? Um, but nonetheless, you know, those three months ended, we told our family, they were pretty supportive. Um, some people took a little bit more to get on board, but they were pretty supportive. And we, you know, kind of had this relationship and then while this is all going on, um, I knew I had to leave my job, right? So like I knew if I'm getting this sick, something's going on here, I had to leave my job. So I oh, gave, wow. yeah. Wow. So, and so this, I is the, 
You started this company, like this is. So I did. I started with three other people. So they were partners. But yeah, and so I knew I had to leave this, and um, because I was, you know, an owner of this company, I gave a year's notice, which I never recommend anybody doing. (laughs) Haven't done it. But you know, I was an owner of this company, and I thought it's not right for me to just, you know, bail. You care a lot. Yeah. Right. I cared a lot. I wanted them to be in a good place. You know, I didn't want to be on bad terms with my partners. And so, um, and we could kind of rearrange things and make sure the right people were hired and all this stuff from that year. And while this was all going on, um, you know, I was like, I got to figure something out. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do for work, but I know something else has to be. And so I actually went to um, herbalism school. I went to nutrition mm-hmm. school. And so, you know, at this time, worst year of my life, I am leaving my job, but working full time. I'm going to two schools full time and I'm navigating my first same sex relationship. And I'm still trying to heal myself because I'm not, you know, completely out of the woods. Wow. And so it was, it was are, you a, are you a high achiever? Like that seems like. Uh, yeah. Well, I, mean, I started this company really young. I'm this you know, really intense person. I realized that was part of my challenge is like not being so intense to myself, but mm-hmm. you know, slowly learning it. Right. You know, not wow. learning it so quickly. And so anyway, the year finishes up and it just kind of the timing worked out that December is when I left my job. December was also the date that we had set to start telling our parents. So I left my job. We told, you know, people about a relationship and I was kind of like the herbalist to Boston entrepreneurs because I knew them and I was kind of like, well, Hey, I got unhealthy. I got sick. Maybe I can help these people. And I did that for a little bit, but I didn't really like it. It wasn't, you know, kind of the, what I thought it was going to be. And so I thought, well, I should just start writing about my experiences. Maybe I can help people start writing about when I was sick, start writing about, you know, my relationship, not my relationship yet, but just when I was sick and, you know, stuff I learned about perfectionism. And a publisher reached out to me and she offered me a book deal within three months. And I thought like, okay, this has got to be my She thing. reached out to you? Reached out to me. Yeah. So okay. I was, my blog. How did she know you? Popular. Right. Well, my blog got somewhat popular and I was oh, doing a little blogging. bit of, yeah, I was blogging. So doing some of that writing and I wrote for um, another publication uh, once in a while. And I guess she got the email newsletter. She said she really liked my writing. So she kind of went over to my blog, heard a little bit about me. And so this was a surreal experience. I had only been in business for three months and I got someone just said, would you be open to talking about a book deal? And, um, and this is the the whole herbalism thing. So it was really about kind of, um, all of it about healing yourself, about redefining success, about perfectionism, like kind of my experience of not my relationship, but the rest of my experience. Right. And so anyway, I perfectly honest with you, didn't really want to go through the process of writing the book proposal. So I was kind of like, let me just see if I can send an outline and that's good. And it was. So I I, I signed the book deal, you know, I mean, I'm not saying it was a huge advance or anything, but I signed this book deal. But I mean, no one gets a book deal out of the blue. Like anything is... is... So here I am thinking, well, this has got to be my purpose, right? Like they say that the universe Mm. just hands you things on a silver platter when you're on your path. Clearly, Mm. this has got to be my thing, right? Because it's just landed in my lap. And so I write this book and I can't tell my story in a book without talking about my relationship with Garrett. Mm. And so I think, well, crap, if this is coming out in a book... I have to tell people in my life, like close friends and family know, but no one really extended knows about this. And I have to let people know. Okay. And so I wrote, once Gary was comfortable, I wrote something for my um, blog about this experience. And I was at the time writing for a publication called Mind Body Green, and they're fairly large. 
and they wanted me to adapt my blog post for their publication. And so I thought, okay, not a big deal. Um, I wrote that and just kind of talked about my experience, talked about how, um, you know, Garrett's more than just a man. To reduce him to just being a man would kind of invalidate what I'm in love with. I'm in love with so many things. And it really opened my eyes to, you know, sexual fluidity and pansexuality and bisexuality and all these kind of things that I wasn't aware of. And, and you know, basically in any moment we have an opportunity to choose love, you know, go towards it or away from it. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this piece, went to bed that night. I woke up the next morning and 100,000 people had shared it. As you can imagine, this was shockingly overwhelming. I mean, I my email inbox was just flooded. That week I got thousands of emails, literally thousands. Some very supportive, some with people who had similar stories from all over the world. Some hate mail and people that did not like me or wanted to say things or accuse me of things. And it was like just, I mean, NPR wanted to interview me and Yahoo News. I mean, it got very, very overwhelming. You went viral. I went uh, viral. And about my sex life. I didn't want the whole world to talk about my sex life, right? Like people right. are asking me these really invasive questions and it was you know, people have asked me like, oh, did you do anything to prepare for this? And I was like, no, have I known I'm not, <laughs> I I've never sick. written this article. I was sick. <laughs> Why would I have written this article if I knew that was, you know, like that was not my intention in writing this. I mean, I'm so right. grateful today that it's helped so many people. I still, you know, that was six and a half years ago and I still get emails okay. today. Oh, wow. But I, I kind of went underground. I mean, up until, to be honest with you, this past fall, I didn't do any interviews because I was like taking years away from like just going inward because it was really overwhelming at the time. Like I, this wasn't my plan to, um, you know, be this kind of, like I was asked to speak at some pride events and I was, and I was kind of like, I didn't expect any of this. Like I didn't kind okay. of sign up for this. And so anyway. So you were the it, like straight guy who found his sexuality and then, and, and it really connected with people. And so now you're this like mini celebrity in the, in the, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to oversimplify it, but is, am I kind of following that? I mean, I don't know that I call myself a celebrity at any point, but yeah, I I mean, I guess I was, you know, known, like a lot of people knew me from this thing. I mean, it got, it was so strange because um, a friend of mine was on Facebook and saw somebody post this article and said like, oh, I didn't know you were friends with Mike. And he's like, who's Mike? Like, I don't understand. I just saw this really, like, he's like, right. the, the, my friends are like, you know, I understand like we hear and see numbers, but it's surreal to be that in your face that like somebody I'm friends <laughs> with, like thinks of you like as like as an inspirational person, but doesn't know who you are. Right. And I think that was really strange for me. So yeah, this totally. is all. And, and I, you know, I worked in public relations with celebrities. So I was used to helping out, but I was always behind the scenes, right? Like I'm not used to being right. front and center. You were, your job was to get them notoriety. Exactly. Yourself. Right, right, right. So I was not what I planned for. So anyway, you can imagine this is going on and I still don't really have a business model. I still am not really making money. So like I wrote this book, I got an advance, sure, but that book's not coming out for a while. I've got nothing going on there. I don't really have that many herbalism clients anymore because I didn't like that. And oh, I, really? yeah, so I kind of like that didn't feel like a perfect fit for me. And I also have this viral article, but I'm not monetizing it. Like, I don't know what I'm doing with this. So I'm just like, I I got a few speaking gigs from that, but like, it wasn't really what I wanted. And so I thought like, I'm a mess. Like, I I can't figure this out. Like I, I've got to figure out what my purpose is. I've got to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do with my life. And I've got all these strange experiences that make no sense and do not connect. 
And so I went and I've read probably every life purpose book you can imagine. I've got every training you can imagine. I was like, I just, I've got to figure this out. And so, you know, most that's of the who stuff, you are. You're the, well, that's, you're the researcher who like will do everything to. Right. Right. Like, yeah, right. Just, throw yeah. everything at the wall, see what sticks. Right. So I, I, um, you know, most of the books tell you something like, you know, figure out what your passions are, figure out what your skills are, figure out what the world needs and kind of find that middle point. I was like, okay, so what's like the connecting thread between a lot of these experiences? It's like, oh my God, it is so obvious. I am so, how did I miss this? You know, my purpose, I'm meant to create a blogging course because I've always been this writer, you know, I'm going to help people get book deals, but it's going to be about healing and finding your inner voice and being deep and spiritual and authentic. It's like, this is so obvious to find the connects the dots. So Say I, one more know, time, a blogging platform, course, a course, blogging to course. help people. Yeah. Course to help people kind of learn how to blog and find their voice. Oh yeah. Okay. So I'm like, okay. Right. Right. Sounds good. So I had no money. This is, you know, probably, you know, 10, 11 months into that year, I had sold my shares living off of basically that, like I'm slowly running out of money. And I thought, were you well, still doing herbalism at this time? So at or? this point, not at all. Like I okay. pretty much had stopped doing that. And so I was, you know, basically like, this has got to be my thing. And so I had almost no money, but I thought this, this blogging course is going to be my big thing. So I got like the fancy lighting kit, the microphone and the, you know, business partner, I had a web designer, I had, you know, the editing software, all this good you stuff. You were going to do it right. Yeah. I was going to do it right. Make the thousands of dollars, thousands yeah. of dollars, but it was going to be right. Just knew, I knew this was going to take off. So I put it out to the world and five people bought it. It was a colossal failure. I lost thousands of dollars on this thing. I just felt like such a failure. And I thought I'm done. Like I'm done. And you really, because, I mean, you hadn't failed before unless I'm missing something like 22 years old, you start a company, you, yeah. you went viral with a pretty early, you know, vulnerability post that you made. So Mike is not really one to flop on things. You find the big sure. things and you yeah. go for it and it happens. Right. That- so this was, I mean, it, yeah, I'd say that that's true. I mean, I'd say, you know, I'd say that that's true. And yet I wasn't feeling fulfilled by a lot of things like herbalism didn't necessarily right. feel fulfilling. Right. right? This, right. So it was like, how do, how am I successful and fulfilled at the same time? Right. Because it yeah. doesn't feel like the, that linking up is happening. Yeah. And so I'm, like, I just feel done at this point, you know? And I said, well, I'm going to go back to my partners and beg them to take me back. I don't know if I have a job at my own company. Oh, I'm damn. Beg them, right? How like, long had you been gone at this point? A year. So it's been a year. So and you, I had oh, no wow. idea what I, but I was like, I, I don't have a job. I don't have anything. No way to make money. And so um, we, and Garrett was, he had just finished residency, but you know, it wasn't like we were rolling the dough at this point. Right. So I- uh, Yeah, he was just starting to sleep again if he was exactly. finishing residency. <laughs> exactly. So it wasn't like, you know, this like great place for us. And I thought like, okay, I, um, what I'm going to do is host a failure celebration to try to celebrate this. That I put myself out there, right? Yeah. I did some good stuff. I failed, but like, I'm going to celebrate that because- I had to risk something to fail. And so my thought around this was I'm going to take the only thing I'm really confident at, which is branding and public relations, and I'm just going to give it away for free and just celebrate, you know, people celebrate myself. And then tomorrow I'm calling my partners. I'm going to try to get my job back. And so what I did was I went to a Facebook group I was a part of, and I offered branding sessions to a whole bunch of people. So whoever wants them, 
I'm going to work like eight hours, just back to back to back. I will do as many people as I can fit in. Stop sessions to pee. I don't care. Like that is what I'm doing. And so um, I did this and I'm used to working with, you know, a lot of these tech people and, you know, healthcare people and celebrities. But in this group, it was a lot of, you know, life coaches and artists and entrepreneurs and healers, people like that. No brand whatsoever. They don't. Right. But also like really hard, you know. Kind of soulful people, really, you know, yeah. not people I'm used to working with. Yeah. And so not to say that people I work with had no soul, but these no. people, like, you know, they're really thinking about um, doing yeah. things. And so I do these sessions and I did about six of them. And at the end of that day, every one of those six said some variation to me of, Mike, you didn't just tell me my brand. You explained my whole life purpose. Like every question in my life is answered. <laughs> right, right, right. So I'm sitting there like, what the, f- what is that? I don't understand what you're talking about. What does that mean? Like, I'm sitting here telling you that I'm a failure and you're telling me that I've answered your life purpose. Like, that doesn't make sense. I'm doing like a simple branding. This is work I've been doing for years. Nobody had said these words. To me. Could do it in my sleep. Right, right. All I'm doing is kind of mapping these experiences for you. It's not that big of a deal. And so um, I get off that, the last call, I'm exhausted, but I thought, well, what the hell? I, I have to do this myself now, right? Like I have to actually try this. So I did that exact process I did for them on myself. And I came out with six words. And those words are aligned, zany, free, unmistakable, successful, and vulnerable. The words I told you at the beginning. And you know, basically what it is, is they started mapping my sensitivities, what I'm most sensitive to in life. Like mm. these themes that run through every story of my life. And why did something feel good here, but not here is because of these sensitivities. You know, when I didn't feel free enough from a certain opportunity, when I didn't feel, you know, unmistakable or zany enough, I couldn't be playful. I could start to see, oh, oh, I see why that worked, but I see why this didn't. I see why this was successful, but not fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, one of these people uh, emailed me that night and said, hey, Mike, my friend wants to buy this service from you. What do you call it? And I said, I have no idea. Like, this isn't a thing. Um, it's branding, but you're telling me it's more than branding. I guess it's like life purpose sacred. I'll call it sacred branding. I just made up that term, just slapped it on, didn't think much of it. So the next day I had one client. Um, three weeks later than that, I had a full schedule. Whoa. Here we are seven years later than that, you know, and I never went back to PR. And um, the work's obviously changed a lot since then. But what I'm really interested in is helping people to just kind of map their lived experiences and figure out which sensitivities are there, you know, which levers do they pull whenever they're successful and fulfilled? And like, how can we understand why this relationship feels good, but not this, why this job feels good, but not this, why you were successful here, but not here. And, you know, for each of us, we're, you know, since we're kids, right, we're sensitive to something. Some kids are sensitive to music. And if you're sensitive to music, you can probably hear notes that I can't hear. And some kids, even before they're born, are sensitive to freedom. And they're going to feel trapped really easily. And they're always going to want to feel really free. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we're sensitive, we literally sense more. We see, taste, touch, smell, hear more, right? We're going to have more trauma there because we're going to feel it deeper. We're also going to split hairs. We're going to be more experts. We're going to see things better that other people can't see. And so when I kind of came to understand this, I mean, and use it, like it's radically changed my life because I realized, oh, I can understand the why that's what purpose means right why this feels good but not that why this situation you know was traumatic but not that one and that's what i get to do today so you've been doing this for seven years i have yeah do you still feel free doing it does it feel like a job or 
I mean, I mean, certainly <laughs> yeah, it depends on the client, I guess. I, mean, I shouldn't say that, but you know, okay. I think in general, yeah, of course. I mean, I love it. It's my dream job. It's the best thing I could imagine doing. I get to work with the coolest people from. I've helped, you know, drag queens get on TV shows. I've helped um, comedians, comedy specials. We've done, you know, a lot of um, helping people to, this is really cool. I taught a class on discover your brand in bed and, you know, beginning to work on, you know, your brand in sexuality and how to ask for what you need, how to understand your own desires. Um, You know, we've done intimacy stuff. We've done business building. I mean, it kind of, the cool thing about it is, I don't really have to decide how you use it. So like, yeah, a lot of people do use it to build a business or build a business brand, but it is your intimacy. It is your your love language, quote unquote. Like what I like about it actually is, you know, I'm a big personality test junkie, but the thing about personality tests is they're not, I may not relate to the language the same way that, you know, the creator of the test does. Whereas this is your subjectivity in your own language. I don't care if your words are Sally, Bob, and Jim. I really don't care. If those words help you to understand and feel everything you've ever felt and experienced, great. So most of my job, I mean, I don't do much one-on-one anymore, and it takes me two and a half hours. So it is a lengthy process. Actually, yesterday I did one, it was three hours. But most of my job is to map a person's experiences so I can understand the patterns and then use the understand the relationship to language. And then basically all I do is spit out the language to them in a way that they don't realize what I'm doing have them confirm that that is resonant, have a list of about a hundred words, and then we figure out how they conceptualize words. So I pack which five or six words, uh, the umbrella terms basically for everything else. Like what are the words that explain every moment of your life? And so what I like about it is I, I don't have to, it's not my language. It's going to be resonant for you because it's in your own language. Like you're defining yourself according to your own terms. And that helps them uh, more clearly explain their brand to other people. Sure. Is so, uh, yeah. yeah, I can give you an example because I know it sounds yeah, really abstract. So, like, all right. So, my words aligned, zany, free, unmistakable, successful, vulnerable. We can use this a whole bunch of ways. So, one mm-hmm. way we can think about it is like, all right, Mike, how would you define what you do for work? Well, I align people's vulnerabilities, their zaniness, the things that make them unmistakable to free them to be successful however they want. I can literally take that, and that's one way. Now I could put that on a website or I could tweak that sound a little bit better, but that gives me a basis. Let's say you ask me an interview question. I don't know the answer to, and you say like, Hey Mike, you know, now during COVID, like, what do you think is the most important thing we should be doing? I'm like, Ooh, it's a heavy question. I don't know. And so I say, all right, well, you know, Michael, let me be a little bit vulnerable with you here. I don't know. The truth is I, I don't know what we need to be doing. What I do know is that aligning with ourselves will always be our best, best path to success aligning with our vulnerabilities, you know, the zaniness, the things that are fun and too much and loud and crazy and intense, you know, things that make us unmistakably ourselves, that frees us to be successful, not just financially, but in every way. Because when people really align with us and connect with that vulnerability, those people, that's the real us. If we're not being ourselves, we are, you know, always going to have low self-esteem because I'm basically saying I can only be successful as someone else. And that's great. I can make money, but I will never be fulfilled that way. But when I have to align with my vulnerabilities and my zaniness and everything, I'm going to be truly successful, free to be that successful. Now, all I did was just made that up on the spot. I take six words. I throw a few ands and buts in there. But why it works is because it's what I truly believe at my core Mm -hmm. and who I truly am. Now, if I talk about my relationship to take a whole different angle here, 
right? Like, let's talk about sex or sexuality. You know, I love spaces of extreme vulnerability, right? Like in my relationship, my husband knows that um, like anything is fair game to be said during sex, anything. We can have a conversation after if we need to, but like in that moment, nothing is judged. You know, if I'm in a fight with my husband and I think like, okay, am I not feeling vulnerable or zany or free? What am I not feeling? It gives me language to ask for what I need. I say, you know, Garrett, I don't think I can be vulnerable enough here. Well, you know what? Like, I feel like, uh, you know, you're mistaking what I'm saying. And I don't feel like I'm being heard or um, understood because unmistakable is one of my words. Or the last place I'll give you, which is my favorite, is uh, a few years ago, I didn't necessarily feel that sexy or confident in my body. And so I thought, come on, Mike, you do this work. Like I see people using this for amazing things. What, you know, is going to help you? I said, okay, what would feel vulnerable and zany and free with my body? Well, duh, dancing naked in front of the mirror. And so every day for a year, I did not miss a day while the water was heating up for like two minutes before I got in the shower, I would dance naked, you know, vulnerably, zanily, freely in front of my mirror. Every single day, I did not miss a day. Whether I felt unattractive that day, whether, you know, I didn't, was on a good hair day, whatever, like I did my dance. And at the end of that year, it didn't even cross my mind at the time that this was happening. I booked a boudoir photo session. And I don't even remember the thought process of why I booked this at the time, but clearly it was related to it, it was at the very end of this year. And I, I was nude for the first time in front of, you know, this total stranger um, it was a very kind of interesting, I was so nervous at first and then like an hour into it, it was just easy and it was free. And I really reveled in that vulnerability and I got these photos back and I thought, okay, these are like very private just for me. Maybe my husband, nobody's going to see them. Oh my God. I got those photos back. My mom's seen them. I've posted them on the internet. Like, <laughs> I don't care who sees these photos because I feel so sexy and confident now in any room I walk into. And it really, you know, even for me, I do this work and I see other people doing it, but it left such an impression, that moment of like, oh, these are my sensitivities. They're what I feel deepest. If I work with issues on these things, that's going to help me the fastest. Yeah. Interesting. So walk me through. I love it. Love it. That's a lot. Um, I'm interested to understand your relationship to your six words. Um like where, Yeah, I mean, there's like, how did you get there? What are those words? How do you define those words for yourself? Because I heard you use them in, you know, a, a talk track scenario when you're talking to someone and how to make them come alive to you and to them. But like, for you, mm-hmm. those words sounds like it was a quite a process to get to those words. And they, they're the words that you choose. Um, why did you yeah. choose them? And, and how do you feel like they sum up you at, at your essence? So, you know, uh, a distinction here, which is a tough one, is, you know, these aren't just words like I, like I, I wouldn't have chosen these. Let me just put it that way. Oh, like these were just really? six words I wouldn't have chosen. Them. So that's okay. not really how you know, the process is very surprising. So what we're really doing, and I'll, I'll be as transparent as I can be. I mean, I'm going to try to pack two and a half hours here into, you know, something pretty short. Sure. But basically, um, you know, I'm looking at, okay, in moments of past trauma, what did I feel? What happened? By the way, if you're really interested, we can do a little demo with you. I'm happy to like run you through yeah. something. So, Thanks. but, but, you know, so yeah, if you want to, but we, you know, if, uh, if people, if people are interested in this, where, where would they find it? So actually, great question. We have a free training. So it's 36 minutes and you can get a worksheet um, on our website. It's just mikeimle.com slash map. And you can actually download that worksheet, do a little training with me, and it gives you a taste of it. 
And then obviously, if you're interested, you know, we do have courses. I do one on one, not often, but I do. But um, you might as well use the training. So it's really cool. Like I am Ellie. But yeah, yeah. So we can do a little bit today. But basically what I'm doing is I'm talking about, you know, I'm asking people questions or asking myself, you know, um, about moments of trauma, about moments, you know, what do I want to heal in myself, like in these situations in my life, about past patterns. Am I always, you know, struggling with money? Am I always the person who's like second best? Am I always feeling misunderstood? And then I'm looking at, you know, um, basically uh, defining myself. So across the board, you know, in my relationships and jobs, what am I usually? Am I a space holder? Am I a reflector? And so I kind of like create a little container for myself. And then I talk about within that container, who are people I resonate with? Why? People I don't resonate with? Why? So would I consider, you know, Oprah also a space holder and a speaker? Like, what is it I like about her? So what I'm doing in this whole thing is, and I mean, I'm giving you a very bridge version. What I'm doing here is I'm really trying to map across your life. Like who are the people you resonate with that you see similar qualities to? What is it about them? You know, what is it about your traumas you've experienced? What is it about the purposeful moments of your life? The people you've like helped that you felt really good about? And like, because we humans are going to try to control this process, I've got to really make it so that people have no idea what we're doing. Like and when we go through a real process, it just feels like we're having a conversation about the randomest things. And if I catch someone trying to figure out or give me the answers they think I want, I will trick them every step of the way. Like I will make it more confusing. And I always tell them, listen, like, this is the easiest time you will ever have. It's so fun because we're just playing games and we're yelling. And then once I've got enough data, and that will take me about an hour and a half to get that data. Once I've got enough, then I'll use that data. I make them close their eyes and do three different visualizations. And the first one is I go five years into the future and I paint a picture that I know is resonant based on their, you know, experience, based on their experiences and their words of who they want to be. And I build up them helping a particular person. And I, I yell, I scream. Like I, I mean, people cry, they shake, like they get really excited. And then I ask what that person feels. And so we come up with a whole bunch of things. And then all I have to do is check back against words they've already told me. Would they feel this? Would they feel this? And I already have all their language written out in front of me. Then I do the same thing with how would this person talk about them? And then I do the same thing with how would they feel in this moment? And I mean, I've just got to keep building it bigger and bigger. And so now we've got say a hundred words that are the most resonant words that they want to make people feel, they want to feel themselves and they want to be described as. And I then will use that to say, okay, what words are inherent in one another? So for example, if you're successful, are you automatically powerful? For some people that might be true, for some people not. If you're powerful, you're automatically successful. We start to see the way they connect language. And so once I do all of that, I don't care what you like. In fact, in most cases, you're going to be triggered by some of your words and you should be because there's trauma around these. So it's not just, you know, what I desire. Desires are fleeting. Right now, I desire a conversation with you. In a few hours, I'm probably going to eat some lunch. Like my desires change all the time. Mm -hmm. Your sensitivities don't change. It's what is actually true in your lived experience and, and what's true in your body. So we do a lot of stuff. Like I don't care what your mind thinks. Like feel your body. If you're feeling this, this, and this, you automatically feel this. And if that's true, then we don't need it. And so we're just doing a lot of condensing. And we get to a point now where we've got, you know, six words and these six or five words, sometimes I seven, you fight me hard enough, I'll give you seven. I think I've given out four sevens in my life. So you've got to give me good rationale, but I need to know that nothing is redundant. And it's a point at which your sensitivities can't be condensed any further. I like it. So what's, so is six an average or is... So it's just funny. Yeah, I say, um, you know, I've done many hundreds of these. I'd say five yeah, or six yeah. is really a sweet spot. You know, I've got a few fours out there. I've got a few sevens, but I've got to know that 
it can explain all of your experiences without being redundant. And so I just missing anything. Exactly. Right. 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 Yeah. It's got to explain all the experience. I can't miss a thing. So, um, and what I'll find is when people do this work on their own, like we, I'll be totally transparent here. When we have our course, when people do, you know, their own, and then they hire me one-on-one, they're always like, oh, why is, are you better? It's like, it's not necessarily that I'm better. It's just that, well, I've been doing this for a while, but that you, what you'll, will find is that you can usually condense yours a little bit further and we'll find new aspects of you. Hmm. And so what I, you know, I mean, when, and it's kind of like my friend always says, you know, if you're a hairdresser, you can't cut your own hair, right? It's really hard to see the back of your own head. And so it's a little bit easier, but we, you know, one thing we do with our courses and stuff is really do like a lot of demos and try to guide, show people how I'm doing it so that they can get their words because um, it's, I mean, it's really surprising. I'll give you a story because I think you'll like this one. So at one level of our uh, teachings, we look into etymology of our words, like because there's a oh, lot of interesting. That's happening with how we choose our words. Mm-hmm. And so zany, like who the hell would pick zany, right? That's yeah, just I'm interested. You, yeah. Right. This just goes to show you that I did not desire or choose this word. And <laughs> so zany already, you know, in part of looking at etymology, the word zany comes from an Italian word, zanni, which is a, a Venetian dialect of Gianni. So it's just like a, a nickname. And Zanni um, was actually a stock character in Commedia del Latte, the Italian art form, Commedia del Latte. And so Zanni was basically the predecessor to the clown. Um, mm-hmm. That's where it comes Interesting. from. And so Zanni was this, you know, fool, this kind of trickster energy. He's very kind of foolish and dumb. But interestingly, he was the only character who could break the fourth wall and speak directly to the audience, like mm-hmm. the clown does. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he believed that everything had a spirit in it. Um, Zani was often uh, sexually fluid and could, you know, date men and women. Like there are all these things about Zani. So I'm reading this, learning with this. And I'm like, I mean, this is starting to explain some crazy things in my life. Of course, that we already know, like my relationship, you know, I'm always, you know, I have a very youthful energy. I look much younger than I am. And people often um, think I'm, you know, kind of too much, too you know, intense, too playful. But interestingly, that's my way of sharing the greatest wisdom I have. Like, kind of faking people out, right? That's what I do in sacred branding. We're playing games. We're laughing. I'm yelling. We're having fun. And I always tell people, you will spend two hours having no idea what I'm doing. And in the last 20 minutes, it will all click and come together. And that's, you know, so already this word is explaining a lot. So then a few years later, I'm chip, I'm flipping the channels and we do a lot of work talking about associations with, have with these words. So I'm flipping the channels and I hear the word zany and I stopped because how often do you hear that word, word, right? Yeah. Right. I, I mean, you don't hear that word often. So I stopped. And it was the 1997 Cinderella with Whitney Houston and Brandy. Uh, remember that movie. But um, so it was on and Whitney Houston was singing. And I won't sing for you. I promise I wouldn't put you through that. But she's singing. <laughs> but the world is full of zanies and fools who don't believe in sensible rules and won't believe what sensible people say. And because these daft and do we die dopes keep building up impossible hopes, impossible things are happening every day. And I thought, oh my God, this word is about believing in the impossible. It's about, you know, being a fairy godmother to people, being your own fairy godmother, believing in magic, you know, becoming, you know, your destiny or the person you want to be. Like, it just felt really resonant here. Hmm. And so at that exact moment, I had a flashback in my mind to being four years old and watching the cartoon Cinderella with my grandmother. And my grandmother was by far the zaniest person I've ever met. And she was just, you know, she would just start dancing in the middle of the street. Like she was just so, and like, 
you know, she, my grandpa would have to go to these really kind of fancy parties sometimes. And she would just like, fuck these snobby people and just get up and dance. And like, she just did not care at all. <laughs> very, like, a free spirit. You know, she was very kind of um, spiritual and really believed in, she had like some deep personal spirituality. Um, she really believed I was going to change the world. And she just loved to watch me like write or tell stories. Um, she really was just an amazing human being. And so I'm sitting there thinking of this connection to her with this work. And then as I'm sitting there, I thought of this quote that a friend had given me a piece of paper with this quote on it once because it reminded them of me. And the quote was, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. And I just loved how like flippant and nonchalant that is. Like, yeah, if I feel like it, maybe it's kind of fun to do the impossible. And I thought of, you know, this zany, you know, doing the impossible with Whitney Houston and my grandmother. And so I went to look up who said this quote, and it was by Walt Disney. And yeah, I mean, we, I have endless stories about those, but just one of my words, yeah. the level of healing and explanation it gave to me of who I am mm -hmm. and why I am the way I am and why I'm, you know, I think so much of my life, I'm a pretty emotional, sensitive guy. So much of my life, I've thought like, hmm. why am I getting upset over this? Why is this a big deal? Why? And like, it's so healing for me to be like, oh, I can begin to understand why. Yeah. So interesting. So did you did you learn all that before Zany became the word? Nothing. Or was no, that not, after, no, not after, all after Zany? All after. Yeah. Wow. So it, this is the thing that's, that's crazy so about cool. it, right? Because if we, you know, if I tried to control the process and like did all this research and etymology of words, like I would never be able to make these kind of subconscious associations and these mm -hmm. things. You know, we've heard these words, but the thing about language is, you know, it's not objective. We all have subjective connotations with words we use, right? We hear them from certain places in our life and we don't always know how or why. And so what I've got to do to make a sacred branding really effective is I've just got to get people to feel super, super safe and to just be as much themselves as possible. You know, my, my dream is I want people to feel like we're having coffee with a best friend because when you're having coffee with your best friend, hours fly by and genius spills out of you. And you are just like there, like you're just being yourself. You're not trying, you're not and thinking. Enjoying you're, it. Right. you're enjoying it, right? And then we've got those other conversations where we're kind of like, am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Like we're very awkward and technical. And I always say, if you're being technical, yeah, right. You, if you're being technical, you have no idea what the essence is, right? You're not tapped in because those technical aspects, like the right tone of voice, the right thing to say, come from really being tuned in, right? They're coming from an essence. We don't want to contrive it. We want to actually, you know, kind of, we don't want to fabricate. We want to really be it. And so I get to get people to that place because I have to know who they actually are to be able to map, you know, their lives and map their language. And so um, basically what I'm, I have no idea the um, subconscious associations they're making. Obviously I couldn't know that, but they can. And so once they have their words, you know, especially we have a few levels of the work, the second or third level is when they really start digging in. Um, and beginning to understand how this relates to different aspects of their life, you know, etymology, associations, relationships. You know, my grandmother, I had no idea that that was related, but now it makes so much sense to me why I was closest to her if anyone in the world. That is super cool. So interesting. Um, you mentioned that people, people often are triggered by their words. 
Mm-hmm. Um, is zany one of the words that triggered you originally, oh, or are there other words that all you? of them? I'd all say. of them. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I mean, successful people often will say to me like, "Ah, oh, successful! What a great word to have." You, you know what the opposite of successful is, right? We talk so much about failure, even with all the success that I had achieved, like you pointed out earlier. I always felt like a failure. I always felt, you know, kind of not good enough or like this wasn't truly successful. And also what does success mean? You know, is it fulfillment? Is it just according to someone else's metrics or a certain amount of money? You know, these were things I've always been sensitive to since I was really little. I mean, I embarrassed to say this, but like I was really little. I used to take golf lessons and I remember I was horrible. I threw my club when I didn't do well. Like I was probably like six years old or something. I mean, really little kid. I mean, this is so embarrassing. One time I was, and really toxic, I was playing soccer. I was probably like 10, maybe 12 at this point. And I got subbed out and I didn't think I played well enough. So I kicked my water bottle away from me to essentially say that I didn't even deserve, you know, basic sustenance because I didn't think I was successful enough. Hmm. And so watching that pattern, right, over time in my life, and I'm not saying I've cleared it completely, right? Like we're all working through these yeah. things. This but is a I, journey lesson. Exactly. And so I can see that's certainly a trigger word, right? Successful. Like to say that oh, I claim that yeah. that's who I inherently am, that I'm that I just am successful. And I make people successful. Like that's triggering, right? So yeah. that's something. I mean, vulnerable. Who wants vulnerable, right? Like that, like to always be vulnerable, to always be sensitive, to always, you know. It's and, getting and pretty popular. Brene Brown's making that word real. She is, popular. yeah, she's killing it. And that's great. And, <laughs> no, and, and I found it to be such a, you know, uh, a strength, but I think growing up or being younger you know, as a man, like feeling like this was something that was uncomfortable. This was something that, why am I so sensitive? Why am I, you know, I, like I, I wish my dad is a brilliant, amazing, amazing person, but my dad's one of those people who can, um, I'm so envious. He is just good at talking to anybody, great at small talk, and he genuinely enjoys it. And I am so envious because that's not me at all. Like I am just, you oh, seem like I, a very easy person to talk to to me. Well, thank you. I think I am, but I think I'm especially easy to talk to when I'm having a really interesting deep conversation. Oh, yeah. Like, small I talk. am just not no the small, talk. small talk. I get so awkward. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. You know, and I think, like, for me, it's always, that was like a, a kind of point of trigger with my dad. Is like, he's so gregarious and so, like, charismatic, and we can have all this great small talk. And there I am, like, I want to be in the corner with one person just having a super intense, deep conversation. (laughs) And I feel like, you know, again, that's an area where I've been able to do some healing and understand that trigger. And zany for sure. I mean, I've had so many people say to me in life, you know, Mike, you could be, you know, so successful. So this, if you weren't too much or like, you know, at work, you're so good at your job, but you're a little loud or you're a little bit too playful. You're a little like, there's all of that that I've been told so many times in my life that I felt really, you know, ashamed about, you know, kind of working through that was really helpful or aligned. Aligned's another great one for me because I'm the type of person that I am like psychotically committed if I want something. Like I will go do it. I am so excited about it. But if I'm not really excited, it doesn't feel aligned to me. Like I can't force myself to get the motivation. And it just kills me because um, I used to say this one thing when I played soccer and my coach would say like, yeah, you just don't look like you're trying out there. And I said, you know, I'm trying to try, but I just can't try right now. <laughs> and I know that sounds like bizarre, right? Like, but that's really oh, how that's it felt. Like point. I've got this in, like inside, I can feel the block and I just want to push through it. But like, I just, I can't, like, I, I feel something's not aligned and I just can't try. I don't know what it's going on here. And I think through the other sensitivities, I can now figure out what's misaligned. Cause here's the other thing. We've condensed these sensitivities to a point 
where they can't be condensed further. So what that means is they become self-defining. And what I mean by that is for me to feel successful, uh, that means I need to feel aligned, zany, free, unmistakable, and vulnerable. For me to feel aligned, I need to feel successful, free, zany, unmistakable, and so forth. And so they begin to define themselves. And so if I want to know why don't I feel aligned here, I can quickly say, oh, it's because I'm not feeling X amount of other things. And I can quickly go through and say, okay, I'm not aligned because I'm not being vulnerable enough here. Let me be more vulnerable. It will make me more aligned and, you know, kind of spin all the wheels. And so it just gives me language and understanding for what's really going on with me right now. Cool. So you mentioned your husband. Is Garrett your husband? He is my husband. So okay. we are married. Yep. So you're together. Oh my goodness. What a great love we're story. Together. Nine years later, we are together <laughs> and we're married. Um, yep. So does Garrett have his words? Have you he done does have words? his words, although, you know, like now you're really calling me out here. He does have his words, but I gave him his words like way, you know, whatever, seven years ago. So I feel like I've gotten a lot better and I probably should redo it because I think I gave him like a 45 minute session. It was not, you know, the full extent. But what I will say is he's, um, so he's a clinical pharmacist. He works with oh. um, hard to manage uh, patients with diabetes, chronic disease, okay. especially low income, marginalized patients. And, um, yeah, so he, um, his words, very different than mine. His words are, I hope I remember correctly. I'm on the spot here. Um, safe, uh, let's see, safe, proud, alive, um, alive, empowered, and one other that I don't remember. But um, he's very, you know, I mean, Garrett, he just won an award, actually, uh, this year for his work with patients during COVID. He's incredible at, like, making a person feel really safe. And also, you know, I think proud is an interesting one. He's very big on dignity and really mm -hmm. helping people to also understand why do I want to be healthy? Like, you know, do I want to walk my daughter down the aisle? Do I want to, you know, be there for my grandkids to be born? Like what? So really getting into what's, you know, uh, relevant. And this is, you know, pretty important for some of his patients because he has a lot of patients who are, you know, homeless, who are, you know, suffering with substance abuse or things like this that, um, our society doesn't always uh, give so much dignity to all of these people. And so yeah. it's really, it's interesting to see why this job in particular feels so good to him and why he's good at it. And you can see that right with his sensitivities. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. I like it. So I have a story. Yeah, I don't yeah know why please. Sorry. If you, if you I want, had a question I, mean, and I lost it. Okay. Yeah. That, it happens to me all the time. So <laughs> Thank, two you. Stories, Thank you. Two stories here. One is um, I'm happy to share because it just is coming up for me. As I was talking about Garrett. I remember the moment that I fell in love with him or the moment that at least I knew I was in love with him. And I think it's kind of interesting story because it ties into some of what we're talking about. Um, because you know, people ask me that all the time. I really have to think about it, but I'm lucky that I, I know I have a moment. And this moment was... Um, I was at a, uh, a holiday party around Christmas, and this was after, you know, I had mostly gotten better, but before we had, not, I wasn't 100%, I was well enough to go out, but before we had told a lot of people, so not a lot of people knew about us. And, oh, okay. Uh, okay, so this is like during those two years. Yes, 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 during got those two it. years, got exactly. It. Got it. Got it. And so Garrett was on residency, he had just uh, started fairly, maybe six months before, and he, uh, this party was in a section of Boston that is notoriously bad for parking. So there's like no parking in this party or this area. And there's a snowstorm this night. So now it's a horrible snowstorm. There's no um, parking. And Garrett was on residency and he was working until midnight. He had to like staff the pharmacy or something. And so I'm at this party and it's about 1230. And I look over 
and Garrett is sitting in the corner in the scrubs. And I'm thinking, like, what what are you doing here? Like, why would you drive across town, you know, fight to find in a snowstorm? Uh, in a snowstorm after you've been working all day, it's you know, past midnight. And he said, I just wanted to sit in the corner and listen to you tell stories and watch you. Like you just get so animated and the way you tell stories is so exciting. I just like that's all I wanted tonight. And I also knew that if you took public transportation home, it would take you an extra half hour and I may be asleep and I wouldn't get to see you tonight. So I just wanted to come sit here and listen to you tell stories. And it was just, you know, one of those moments that, I mean, this is just gives you a sense of who Garrett is. Everybody, by the way, is in love with Garrett. Like men, women, doesn't matter. Everybody falls in love with Garrett. But, you know, yeah, I, I'm like that. Sounds the, like it. What a guy. Over here on the side, Garrett's the star of the show. Everybody's in love with Garrett. But, you know, I, even my family, I should say that. I'm definitely not the favorite. Garrett's muscle. I mean, <laughs> he has no, no competition amongst the in-laws. None. Like, it's like Garrett, and then no offense to my brother-in-laws, but huge drop. And then, like, because, and they know it. They will never compete. Garrett is, like, I mean, an incredible chef. I mean, I, I'm so spoiled. I was telling my therapist recently, I said, you know, we had our shit dinner. This was like our quick, Garrett just needs like a shit dinner. And it was um, charred delicata squash with maple <laughs> syrup and um, this <laughs> chicken he makes, which is like browned butter and onions and like this incredible white wine sauce. And that was like our, our quick, like I only have 20 minutes. <laughs> um, so that's just you know, how he is. That's your craft macaroni and cheese dinner. Exactly, right. <laughs> so it's it's so crazy. He's this amazing, amazing chef. And I, 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 I'm useless in the kitchen. I do nothing. It's actually a bad thing because I haven't cooked for myself in nine years. So like, I'm really terrible now at cooking for myself because I'm so not used to it. Garrett, he enjoys it. He's one of those people that thinks cooking is meditation, which is great. I wish I had that. I don't. But um, so yeah, that's his domain. But yeah, this, you know, this moment of Garrett, you know, telling me that really, I'd never felt remotely that loved before. I never felt seen in that way. Cause it wasn't just that he loved me. It was, he loved me for some part of myself, that zaniness, right? This part of myself that even I didn't always acknowledge to myself. Hmm. And that was, you know, really surreal moment. And so, you know, after this, I knew I was going to marry him and I oh. knew exactly where I was going to propose to him. And I'm, I've got a really, really, really good proposal story of no planning of my own, but I'm happy to share it if you want to hear the story. Let's hear it. This is a great it's, love story. I love like it. It's like a 10 minute story though. It's a long story. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. This is All great. Right. So, so Garrett, um, you know, I knew I was going to propose to him after this and I knew I wanted to do it in Italy um, on a balcony overlooking the Amalfi coast. Because Whoa. yeah. Okay. So you had so some, some I had, definite uh, plans. Ambitions. Yeah, this is our ambition. Amalfi well, Coast, that's the one where it's like the towns are like cut into the rocks, right? And then it's yes, like a exactly, shoot. exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's right there, right on the water. It's absolutely, it's, it's pretty close to like Naples and Pompeii. Okay. Beautiful area. And so years earlier in college, I kind of finagled my way onto a trip to the Amalfi Coast to spend like a summer there. And get credit for it. So I, they put me up in a you know apartment. I had got credit and all I had to do was hang out on the beach and learn Italian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, right. So great, right? And it was actually cheaper because if I lived in Boston, I would still have to go to the same school, but I would have to pay, you know, for an apartment. Here, they put me up in the apartment. I was like, why wouldn't I go to Europe and not pay rent? But, you know, yeah. so much better. So anyway, so I, I knew this exact balcony. And Garrett had never been to Europe. And I thought... Like, you had a, a specific balcony in mind. I had the balcony in mind. I had the balcony in mind. 
Okay. Yes. So, so I um, knew he had never been to Europe, and I thought, I've got to do this. And I've got to do it as a surprise. And now, you know, I, at the time, you know, this was, so this was 2016. I owned my own business. I had been at it for a few years now. But, I mean, I wasn't making so much money that I could hide all of this and not seem stressed about money. So I mean, this you was, were, this was, you had been into sacred branding for a couple of years. I had been into it for a few years okay, at this okay, point, okay. yeah. But I wasn't, you know, rolling in it so much that like hiding 10 grand was a really easy thing for me to do and not seem stressed out to Garrett. Sure. So I, um, you know, but I, I knew I wanted to do this. So I said to him, all right, like, and it took me, you know, this was years. We had been together now for, I think, four and a half years. So, so it was years into our relationship. And I, so it took me years to build up and save up and all this. But I said to him, hey, Garrett, can you take off a week, you know, in three months? Or four months, I think. And he's like, um, sure. Do you have like a big plan? I was like, no, no, it's not big, but like just a little thing I want to do. And so I bought the plane tickets. Couldn't afford anything else. But I said, I'll figure it out. Like I'm going to get us there. And so we, um, you know, uh, over time, I wanted to uh, ask for his parents' blessing. And his parents are divorced. Oh, and they don't... traditional you. Oh, I'm a traditional, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ever romantic. No. So I, I want, and his parents are divorced and they don't interact very often. Okay. Um, but, and they're both remarried, but I wanted to ask for their blessing. And I also mentioned earlier, Garrett had a long-term relationship, a six-year relationship with a woman. I wanted to include her as well because mm. she was an important part of his life. And so what I did was I pretended I was going to a yoga retreat in Syracuse, but I actually flew down to Philly where, you know, his ex-girlfriend lives, um, spent the night there with her. And then the next day she drove me to their parents' town and I got everyone together and asked for the blessing. Um, and so meanwhile, uh, I knew Garrett would check flight tracker and try to pick me up at the airport. And I was like, no, I've got like Uber credit. Don't pick me up. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to pick you up. But it says you're already in the air. I don't understand what's happening. I was like, it must be wrong. You can hear an airport. I don't know why this is saying that. So I had to lie my way out of that. So finally, whatever, we got through that. And now the day is coming and I was able to, you know, get the hotels. I bought him a watch with, you know, little diamonds around, um, you know, the hours and, um, I, I, he knew nothing about this. And of course, the week of that we were going, um, everybody was talking about Italy. Every person I knew was like bringing Italy up. And then even worse than that, they would be like, oh shit. And then just stop talking. Like, this is so much worse. Please just do not. So everybody is, yeah, like just do not just stop talking. Like it's so, it's so bad. And so anyway, um, I was really nervous. And I, at the time, you know, we didn't keep our passports together. We didn't have a safe. We do now. But so Garrett kept his passport somewhere in one of his drawers. And so I'm like digging through the house trying to find this passport. So I need his passport. And so I finally find it. I'm so excited. I know where it is. I've got the whole thing planned. Um, in, you know, Italy that week, it wasn't much more warmer than it was here in Boston. So I said, you know, just pack like we're going, not going far. So just pack whatever you normally. I said, but I'm not telling you for getting on a plane. So, um, don't put a knife in your carry on, but other than that, like, you know, you do what you gotta do. And so he said, okay. And so that the day before we leave, he said, oh, I randomly have to bring my passport to work. Now, nobody needs their passport. Nobody ever needs the passport on a daily basis. However, Garrett was starting to teach at a college, actually the college we went to, and he needed his passport for tax reasons. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, the one day in your life that I need you to not have your passport on, you, you will have your passport on you. Okay. So he gets home and he's, and I, I just kept saying, you know, we're going to hit the road when you get home because the flight wasn't until 11 PM. And I knew that, you know, whatever time he got home, we'd be safe. So we got home and he said, okay. And I said, all right, we're going to stop packing the car. And he said, one thing, 
tell me the truth. Will I need my passport? Because I don't want to bring my passport and then lose it. And I thought, shit, Mike, you just have to commit at this point. Just make a plan and go with it. I said, no, no, you're not going to need your passport. Put it away. I don't want you to lose it. You're right. So as he went downstairs to pack the car, I like sprinted into the bedroom, found that passport. <laughs> I was zipping my bag back up as he was walking up the stairs. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, you know, I didn't mean that car. I meant the Uber I just ordered. So we get an, an Uber and, you know, you can put in the uh, destination without telling the driver. So I had put in to go to the airport. So he didn't know where we were going. So we get to the airport. Oh, really? I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you put in ahead of time, you know, I mean, maybe sometimes they ask, but I think at that point, you know, I, I could even put in what terminal and everything sure. so that they wouldn't um, have to ask. So um, anyway, I'm really, really psychotic, as we can tell already. And in Boston, <laughs> you know, Terminal E is international. And I knew we could not get dropped off of Terminal E because he'd know it was international. So I was studying the blueprint of the airport. And there is a passageway from C to E. And it just so happens that Terminal C is JetBlue, which we fly often. And so I thought this is perfect. So we get dropped off at sea. Wow. I go over to the jet You are Luke hardcore. Pass. You are so hardcore. hardcore. Very hardcore. Intense person. Yeah. <laughs> so we get dropped off at the, um, you know, jet blue. I walk over to the kiosk and I start saying, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. And he's like, what? Why would you forget? He's like, oh, can you just hold this? And I gave him his passport. He's like, why would you bring your passport? You told me not to bring mine. Wait, wait, this is my passport. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you hold this? And I gave him three books on Rome. And he's like, what, what are you doing? I said, when you get up tomorrow morning, you'll be in Rome. We're going to Rome tonight. He's like, I don't, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand. It's like, come on, we're going to walk through to the next terminal. We're going to Rome. So at this point, That's... I knew he was going to call his mom. And I said, Garrett's mom, you know, amazing person. I hope she's not listening because she's a horrible liar. Horrible liar. <laughs> and so I said to her, I said to her, Cheryl, we're going to have to be really crafty here. Garrett's going to call you and say that I surprised him with a trip to Italy. You're going to say you knew about this but nothing about getting engaged because this is like a two-part lie here. You've got to get it right. So anyway, she did a fine enough job. We get on that plane and I said to Garrett, listen, I've just spent time in Italy. We can do the local thing. We can do the touristy thing. This is your trip. Like I want you to plan the trip exactly that you want. We're going to be in Rome. And the only rule I have is halfway through, we're going to go down to the Amalfi Coast. But otherwise, this is your trip. All we have is one train and that's it. So he said, okay. So we get there and I knew I couldn't propose right away because one, like he would be maybe expecting it, right? If I'm taking him to Italy. Oh, yeah, right. And two, I mean, it's so overwhelming to begin with. Like I had to kind of give it some time. So I, um, you know, I've got my watch with me. I'm trying to hide it in the bag so Derek doesn't see it anywhere. And every day that we were in, uh, every day that we were in uh, Rome, it was supposed to rain. And it didn't. It was so beautiful. Nice. And so I was like, okay, okay, this is great. It's not actually raining. This is wonderful. And so we're out about now today. Well, the last day we were there, we were supposed to leave and go to, uh, you know, uh, the Amalfi Coast. And so right before we left, Garrett said, the one thing I can't miss is going to uh, the Vatican. I've got to get to the Vatican. And I thought, oof, on a Saturday. Great. Okay. Well, we're going to try this. Like, we'll see how it is. Do they do mass at the Vatican on Saturdays? Like, it's a uh, no. It's just, I mean, it's just a weekend in Italy oh, at the oh, Vatican. It's just a disaster, right? Like, I mean, maybe the weekday wouldn't be as bad, but it's just you know, you're gonna wait in a long line, right? Right. <laughs> so you know, so I'm like, all right, let's just try this. Like, we've got to catch this train. So we get over there, and now you know, every day it's supposed to rain. It was beautiful. This day, first beautiful day we're supposed to have. We, you know, it hasn't rained yet, so we leave all of our raincoats and our umbrellas. Finally, we get to the Vatican. And they tell us that it's about a two-hour wait. 
oh, Gareth, they're always dramatic. Don't worry about it. Like, it's not going to take that long. So we get in this line. It starts downpouring. <laughs> so now this beautiful sunny sky has turned into rain. It is downpouring. It's so hard on us. And I have to pee. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I really have to pee. And so I'm sitting there, and I have to pee, and I have to pee. And then I'm like, all right. Um, and Garrett starts getting hungry. I'm like, okay, I'm just, you know, we're going to, this line's going to move. This line's going to move. And so I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting some more. And now it's been about, you know, Garrett actually had to buy a poncho, 10 euros, just to wrap around his camera so it doesn't break. Like we're soaking wet. And it's been two and a half hours. And we are about three people from the front of the line. And Garrett said, why would we pay, you know, whatever it costs if we're going to spend 15 minutes in there? Let's just get out of line. So after two and a half hours of just standing (laughs) in the rain, we leave, right? We have to leave this line. And so so now I'm just like, oh, my God, I just want to pee so badly. I just want to get back to our hotel, catch this train, and just get down there. Because I can't miss this. You know, we have... It's, you know, a few hundred euros the tickets. You know, I've got a place to stay down there. I don't have a place to stay here. Long story short, it'd be like over a thousand dollars. the whole purpose of the trip. And this is when I'm getting engaged. This is my day to propose. I've got it planned out to a T. You've got the exact balcony, like everything. Yes, I cannot miss this. So I, you know, I'm like, all right, let's just go ask somebody if we can grab a bike, eat, pee quickly, and we'll get out of here. Well, in, you know, especially touristy, you know, Vatican, Italy, some of the restaurant owners, you know, it, it can be a very particular area. And here, a lot of people do not open until 1. So it's like 12.45. And I'm like, please just let me in. Like, I don't even care if you give me food. Like, I just want to pee. And nobody will let me into their restaurants. I'm like, all right, forget it. Like, I'm just going to – and there's no alleys, right? This is the middle of Rome. I'm just like, I'm just going to get back there. I'm going to hold it. And so we go over to the metro. And people are standing in the rain outside the metro. And so I asked somebody in Italian, what's going on? And they said, oh, there's a delay between these three stops. Now, they're the only stops that we need. So I'm freaking out now. I'm like, okay, we're just going to have to walk home. Like, there's nothing else we can do. And so we've got our little map, and we're trying to, you know, figure it out. And the map is disintegrating in our hands because it's raining so hard. And where the Vatican is, you know, there's um, street signs are etched in Roman letters up high in the building, like in, you know, buildings. Oh. And so I can't see anything. And it's just downpouring. Long story short, the bridge we wanted went one way. The bridge we took went a different way. We are now even further from our hotel in Rome trying to get back so that we can just get catch this train. Being downpoured on, desperately needing to pee. Desperately needing to pee. No alleys. (laughs) Garrett's getting hangry at this point. And I am just like, like, fuck this. Fuck this. I'm not proposing today. And now we start bickering and the two of us are kind of, you know, bickering back and forth. Um, we, we're not, you know, I'm like, this is not the day I proposed. I spent thousands of dollars on this. I've spent, you know, months of planning, years of planning, really. This is not going to be it for me. And so um, I remembered, I didn't remember at the time, but before I left, a friend of mine who's Hindu um, said that I should pray to the Hindu god Ganesha, which is the god that's the elephant-like. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Basically, she said, you know, he's the place or remover of obstacles. He's the guardian of thresholds. This feels important as you're going to get, you know, engaged. And so I said, okay, I did a prayer that she had sent me. Didn't think about it. Now, at this moment, we're in Rome. We are lost. We're trying to get back. And I look up and the entire side of the painting is painted with a mural of Ganesha in the middle of Rome. And I think, okay, my obstacle is here for a reason. Slow down. Like, it's okay. 
And so, um, long, you know, I remember this Piazza. Garrett remembers that one. Long story short, we find our way back. We get to the hotel. I run upstairs. I pee. I grab my bags and a power bar because we're hungry at this point. I just got my power bar. And we take off to go to the metro. And so going over to the train station and on the metro, I go through the turnstile. I have a weekly pass. Garrett goes to go through the turnstile and says, oh, shit. His pass was, was in his front pocket. Disintegrated now. Oh, from no. the rain. And so I can't get back through. because It's a weekly pass. I can't get back to the other side. And so I'm like, oh my God, Garrett, it's a busy Roman train uh, metro station on a Saturday. No one's going to help an American. Like I'm trying to yell to you to explain how to get the machine to English. He gets the machine to English, finally puts it in. It doesn't work. I'm like, we have like one more shot at this. It's like, so I'm yelling it again. He finally, it works. So we get over, we go over to Roma Damini, which is the main train station in Rome. And you've got, you know, 30, maybe even 40 trains going at any given time. It's a very busy train station here. Yeah. One of the, the busiest in Italy. And so we've got five minutes to spare, thank God. And I said, all right, Garrett, here's where we'll list the, you know, track number. I'm going to go make sure we have printed hours enough or if I have to exchange it for physical tickets. Um, and while I'm doing that, you just make sure we're prepared and we're going to go straight through. I come back. There's like three minutes left and the track isn't posted. And Garrett is freaking out. And I'm like we don't have an option. Like it would say delayed. It's not delayed. We don't have an option. So at this point we need to go through security, run up and down all 30 or 40 trains and just try to find our train because we, we can't miss this. Like we've made it so far to this moment. So we go through, we wrap it down all 30 trains. We cannot find our train. We are freaking out at this point. <laughs> so I run over to an attendant and I said, please, please, please just call it in. He's like, no, you're confused. I'm not confused. Please just call it in. Which track is it? Calls and goes, oh my God, your train's leaving in less than a minute. Run. So now we have all of our bags in Italy. We're moving everything, you know, luggage and backpacks. And we yeah. are sprinting down this, you know, train uh, tracks. And we, I'm not even kidding you. I wish I were exaggerating. It's like a scene from a movie. We jump onto the train and within 10 seconds, the train takes off. <laughs> so we are now on this train sweating. You made it! You made it! Sweating, breathing so heavy. Like hungry, <laughs> tired. Like this has just been an emotional roller coaster of a day. Wet. And I, all I could think in my head was, I'm not proposing. I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till another. Like this is exhausting. This is so, I'm just not fucking proposing today. I'm, I've put too much into this. And Garrett turns to me and says, you know, it's so weird for everything that went wrong today. You would have thought we would have turned on each other, but we didn't. We worked together as a team. Isn't that weird? And I thought, well, shit, now I have to propose today. Uh, so we you know, took our three-hour train ride down to the Amalfi Coast. And I put you know, his watch in my raincoat because God knows it's still raining. And we walk a mile from the train station in the rain to our hotel. But at this point, I'm determined. I'm like, you know what? This is happening. This is just this happening. Is I have no idea what I'm going to say at this point because my plan has been shot to shit. But like, I'm going to wing it. I'm going to say something great. This is happening. So we check into the hotel. We go upstairs, put our bags down, say, oh, do you want to go check out this, like, balcony? Who in their right mind would want to check out this balcony in this rainstorm? The Garrett's like, I, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> so we, we get out there, and I, you know, I point. And at this point, it's, like, maybe just drizzling. But I, I point over. I'm like, hey, go check out that castle in the distance that you obviously can't see through the fog. And so he turns around, and I get down on one knee, and I just think, I, I just got to wing this. And he turned back around, and I said, you know, Garrett, I won't lie to you. This morning I woke up. And I planned on proposing to you. And then everything went to shit. Everything that could have went wrong went wrong. And I thought, fuck this. I'm not proposing to you. 
I'm not wasting my one shot at this. I've spent thousands of dollars. I've spent you know months of planning. I have one shot at this in my life. And I'm not wasting it on today. Like, fuck this. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it another day. And then everything did go wrong. And we started working together as a team. And I realized I don't just have one shot at this. I have a million shots at this. Hmm. Because every day for the rest of my life, I just wake up. I ask myself if I'm still game to do this. And I ask you to love me. Today is just one of those days. So I brought you to the most beautiful place that I know that can potentially rival your beauty to ask you, will you marry me? And he said, maybe. He said, yes. yes. And I I, I pulled out of my pocket a uh, date-stamped picture with me and his mom that said Cheryl approved. And I told him I went down there to ask for their blessing. Oh, man. That's awesome. I love that story. What a great story. (laughs) Yeah, of no intention of my own. It's a really great, uh, you know, engagement story. But, you know, I, I try to remember that whenever things are going wrong. I think, you know, Mike, like, that story, everything went wrong and for all the right reasons. So just let it, you know, trust and let go. You do have a pretty remarkable, I mean, a lot of your, a lot of this conversation has really centered on this, this love in your life of you and Garrett, how you came together through pretty traumatic circumstances. Um, And it's neat how we got to this whole like engagement story that, you know, it's, it's, you're not sick and puking blood, but there's still some like trauma in that day of, of terribleness, you know, but it ends with this, this, uh, I love what that, that, that idea of, you know, this isn't, this is a special day because every day with Garrett is a special day. And so of course this is a perfect day to, what to ask for his hand. That's really neat. And I think, you know, for me, you know, our wedding, one of the things we walked down the aisle to, um, we both walked down the aisle to a song called um, Life by the Avid Brothers. And really, uh, there's a line in the song that says, you know, um, you know, like, basically, we're here for the heaven and hell on earth, or the hell and paradise on earth. And the idea is, like, I don't want to sign up for a kind of one day wedding, one day proposal. I want if we have kids, 4 a.m. screaming babies and money concerns and fights. And like, I want a real adventure, real life from the person. And I think, you know, I, that engagement story reminds me of that. But like, I, it's not a one-time thing that I'm proposing. It's an everyday thing. It's an everyday waking up and saying, can I still do this? And asking you to love me and asking, you know, can we show up for one another? And I think um, it's something that we really tried to, after that engagement, uh, incorporate into our wedding. And actually, I've never, I feel like this is a cool thing to say. Um, so we got married in Aruba. So everything with me is like psychotically intentional. Um, my grandparents had been going to Aruba since 1978. They're actually really? nominal ambassadors to Aruba. Yeah, they got a little plaque from you know being one of the first Americans to be going there. Yeah. So um, they had owned time. I mean, they both passed, but they've owned timeshare. And so we, you know, um, we took it over, obviously. And so you know, Garrett before we got married, I think had been to Aruba like five times with my family. And so it was kind of a way that he was welcome into our family. And so we knew when we were going to get married that this it was is a way like that we an could... IMLE rite of passage to go it's to right, Aruba. Right, exactly. And so I thought we have to have our wedding in Aruba and we have to make all the family come together because <laughs> when is my uncle going to meet Garrett's aunt? You know, like there's not sure. like uh, these opportunities to really get to know each other. And I don't want it to just be four hours. I would love it to be like a week and people, you know, so we had three formal days of events, but people could be there for a little bit longer. 
And um, so anyway, we had this really awesome wedding and like, you know, we were crazy. We, we, we had like the credit cards to sign up for. We tried to give people every, you know, because uh, we knew we were asking a lot. But one thing that we did that was really, really cool. Well, a few things. First of all, we had a party bus um, that was like a, a joint bachelor party for our entire wedding. It was so fun. Like I, I mean, people were up on stripper poles, people were doing like, and it was basically family. When we had 50 people, zany. six friends. Yeah, zany, right? Six friends. <laughs> it was so fun. But, and so, so people got real close after that. And then <laughs> yeah, the day of, that's exactly, awesome. that's what we wanted. And then the day yeah. of the wedding, we had, um, and this is what I was going to say, it's really cool. Um, in Aruba, the way it works, so we got married on the beach. And the way it works is usually in a, you know, more traditional wedding, the couple stands, um, you know, with the, the uh, back to the guests, right? And the officiant is kind of looking towards the guests. But in Aruba, that's actually reversed because you want pictures of the sunset behind you. So you want the couple to be standing with their back to the sunset facing the audience and the officiant to be, you know, looking the same way as the audience. Sure. And so because of this, I thought, well, let's play with something really cool. And so one thing we asked at our first event is that every person bring, you know, walk the beach. And if like a stone or a shell calls to them, just pick it up. Like just find one. And the, the kids had a ball with us. We had a bunch of kids and our family. And so they, you know, were picking them for everybody. But we um, asked them to bring it. And then at the day of the wedding, we had Garrett's brother and my sister form a line with all of these. So it was a complete line. And so when we walked down the aisle, Garrett and I stepped over the line, but my sister, who was the officiant, was on the other side. So it was kind of me and Garrett, a line, the officiant, and the whole wedding. And so we were separated from everyone by this line. And so when she announced us as married, she announced us with the everything that brought us to this moment, the family, the friends, the support, the everything that we're stepping over this line with that brought us to this moment. And that, you know, kind of look around, every person who's here is telling a story of who we are. And you know, there aren't superfluous people at our wedding. It's like 50 people. So it was. In Aruba. Who, in Aruba. In Aruba, yeah. And we didn't accidentally was, get there. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So, right. It's not, I mean, there, we had a few. Uh, you'd be surprised. I think only like six people didn't come that we invited. So, I mean, people were just like, you know, they wanted that vacation. Yeah. But, um, but it was really, really cool because it made me, you know, recognize that as we're stepping over this line, like we're doing it with a lot and in good and bad ways, right? Like when you marry someone, you do marry a family and there's baggage and there's all this stuff, but there's love and there's what brought them to that moment. And I think it was something that we wanted to weave into our wedding to think about it's, you know, I'm not just signing up for someone who looks really good in the perfect outfit on one day. Like we're signing up for a whole life, a whole family together. And there's a lot that goes with that. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that symbolism, that line idea. That's really cool. Yeah, so we actually took the shells home. I, mean, I don't know if it was illegal or not. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but we've got them, you know, brought them into the country. And so we have them in a glass face in our bathroom. And so we have kind of all these pieces that people chose for us. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So has the romance continued? How is how is life now? Yeah, life is good. You know, obviously COVID times, you know, things yeah. change. We have <laughs> um, a beautiful, so I really love the home that we live in. We have this really interesting two bedroom, I'm sorry, two floor, one bedroom home. So it's absolutely so wide and open. I mean, I got a zany bathtub right over there in my living room, middle of the living room, I have a bathtub. I've got, I mean, it's a very strange home. And it was the home of an architect who's kind of a kooky guy in, um, our, in the neighborhood. And so, but it's a one bedroom, right? And we, we intentionally did that because we always want to be in the same room. Well, I work from home and that's always been fine. And Garrett, actually, his hospital is only a seven-minute walk away. So Whoa. it's really nice. Wow. Yeah, really nice, right? But now Garrett's doing televisits from home a few days a week. 
And so our schedule has been a little bit rocked, um, you know, since this time period. It definitely wasn't a home we chose to buy for this. But, um, you know, so we've definitely had to learn to adapt to working together because I did not realize uh, my job is not like be on calls for, you know, eight, nine hours straight, like continuously, just patient after patient. Whereas when he's home, that's With what he's like doing. HIPAA compliance and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. I mean, yeah, it's really tough. We do the best we can to not, you know, hear, overhear things, but, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, but yeah, exactly. So you've got all that going on. Um, it's, it, it's intense. So, um, but, you know, I mean, I, I love it. I think we're really fortunate that we spend a lot of time together anyway. So this hasn't been much of a difference for us. Um, we've gotten really into escape rooms. So anyone listening, oh. like... Really cool virtual escape rooms, and they're awesome. Like really, like this one company. It's called N Chambered, E N Chambered dot com, and they uh, are an escape room out of Sacramento, and they're just like they're killing it. What they've created is so cool. So they've got they've got um, distance ones, so like you and your partner, or if you're you know not in the same place, you can do it with other people. You're seeing different parts of the room, and you're having to communicate to one another what you see and they see and solve. So it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Some are free and some are like 10 bucks, but it's really, so that's been kind of a fun thing we've been into. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Um, well, I love that this conversation zeroed in on your love story because it's a good one. It's a really good one. Um, is there anything else? I mean, we talked a little bit about your business. Is there anything else that you'd want people to know about sacred branding or about your book or, or you or anything like that? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I think, you know, if people are interested in actually beginning to map their own sensitivities and figure out what are some of those core patterns, to either build a business or improve your relationship or whatever, if you just go to mikeimle.com slash map, M-A-P, it's pretty okay. easy. Um, it's a 36 minute training. There's a worksheet. It's all free. So it just kind of helps you begin to get an idea of that. Um, do that. It's fun. I love it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that book, so the book um, is called Enough Already, Create Success on Your Own Terms. Okay. And really, it's around this idea of, you know, uh, why are we kind of so obsessed with success? And do what does that mean? Do we feel enough? Are we trying to gain kind of enoughness right. through um, all of that? And so it's really interesting. It's got, um, it's actually like 12 um, chapters that each chapter has like, uh, homework that build upon one another. So it kind of like tries to help you to navigate and figure out a life path for yourself or a kind of a definition of success and how to achieve it by the end, um, which is really, really cool. And this was actually, as we know, I wrote it before sacred branding, but because, you know, I'm me and we're all always interconnected. So much of it is part of mapping your own sensitivities. Cool. Interesting. So they kind of fit together. I mean, yeah, they fit together. I mean, you know, Mike's it's brand is a strong brand exactly. and he can't, right. can't well, escape it no matter what he's doing. And that, but that's true of all of us, right? Like yeah, how we, exactly. we are, you know, the way we have, I tell people all the time, the way you have sex is unique. The way you're a friend is unique. The way mm. you, you know, speak on a podcast is unique. Like who you are. And if you are tapped into that brand, you know, that brand of self so well, it builds confidence mm -hmm. because you're no longer trying to you know, be, you know who you are and you know who you're not. And that's the best thing I've ever learned. I used to try to be someone I wasn't all the time. And now I think, no, like you want to hire someone who does that? That's not me. Go hire my friend. This person's amazing. But like, this is what I do. And when I only work with people who really get it and are the right fits, I feel confident. They have better results. I make more money. I feel like, you know, in my relationship, you know, when I am just like, I'm sure I'm, I would never, you know, I have one friend who she's really struggled because she's very, very, 
uh, successful. You know, she drives a Tesla, she has two homes and she's single and she has a lot of trouble on dating apps because a lot of men are, you know, very intimidated by her success hmm. and she's really struggled with that. And so for a period she went through of kind of downplaying her successes, but at a certain point in the relationship, really? it came out. And then it was Oh my not. goodness. Yeah, I mean, it's what a weird situation. Well, it's so misogynistic that yeah. it even has to happen for women. Yeah. But, um, you it's know, that, yeah, it's terrible. But, you know, it's interesting because now she's really turned the page and said, you know what? Screw it. Like, I'm going to put it out there. I might get less responses, but the responses I get are actually going to be viable, right. you know. People. If a man so. can't handle who I am, then it's probably not going to work. Right. And I think that's wisdom for all of us. If anyone says that, you know, you're too much nowadays, I say, thank you. Great. What you're saying to me is I'm too much for you to handle in this container. It's not the right container. I need a bigger container. If I'm too much for this, then you, you know, this container is too small for me. Mm -hmm. And I think at a certain point, I used to think too much or not enough was something about me. Nowadays, I think, you know, I'm great. I think I'm amazing at my job. I think I'm interesting. If you don't think I'm interesting, that's wonderful. Great. But it's not about me. That's about what you think. You know, if I, I don't if know I, how someone could not find you fascinating because you are fun to talk to. Like you've got, you got some you. cool stuff that. going on. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's true, right? If, you know, I now having done, you know, some body image work and doing some boudoir, um, if someone doesn't find me attractive, I'm sure there are many people who don't, that's great, but that has nothing to do with me. Like they personally don't find me attractive. Why would that have something to do with me? Hmm. And I think, and I know that sounds, you know, for some people like, oh, that's a pipe dream or that's so like, you know, easier said than done. And that's true. Like it takes, and for me, it's taken a lot of work, but, yeah, um, very intentional but, work. I mean, it, yeah, it didn't just I, happen, but we aren't, you know, if somebody, look, why do we ever want to build a life, build success, build relationships on someone we're not? All that's going to do is destroy our self-esteem mm -hmm. because I'm the more, the more success I get, the more I tell myself, see, you weren't actually good enough. It was all these other things you had to do to be good enough. And I think that was kind of the point of this book enough already is like, Hey, no matter how much success I get, if I'm not authentically being myself, I'm destroying my self-esteem. But if I'm actually, and we see this with celebrities, we see so many people, but if I am totally myself, even if I have a small amount of success, I'm going to feel really confident because it's me. It's me just, shooting the shit, being myself, not trying to put on an act, not trying to do anything else. And now I know it's real love. It's not conditional. I know it's real, you know, success. My clients like me. I know I'm having good results. And I just think that's, I mean, we're all such geniuses. We all have such unique brands and genius to give the world. And if we don't share it, we lose that. Nobody else has what you have. So the world never gets to see it. I like that. So if this is a spoiler for the book, just tell me to read the book, but how do you define success for yourself? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I define success as alignment, freedom, oh, yeah. vulnerability. <laughs> you know? But it, it, in truth, it's, yeah, it's, I you know, like for it. me, success is, it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I know I was just joking there, but it, truthfully, it is deep, rich, meaningful, vulnerable, you know, conversations. I mean, I'm a person that I'm so blessed now in my life that I don't have much small talk with friends. I have, I mean, especially during COVID, I feel like I only have super intense, deep conversations um, virtually with people. And, uh, you know, I, I want freedom. Like I'm a person I'm happy to, if I have ever client and they're not respecting boundaries, very demanding, happy to give you a refund and give you your money back. Like for me, freedom is worth a lot more than, you know, money. And so I need to feel like I can you know, take baths during the day and feel like I can, you know, really just be free to be creative and be myself. Um, 
know, for me, it is being playful and having dance parties and zany and too much. And if someone thinks that's unprofessional, awesome. But then that's not the right fit for me. Like I'm not, right. you know, so I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was half kidding, but the truth is that is it. Like yeah. those things are values I have. And if I don't feel them, then sure, I'm making money, but it's not true success. Yeah. So it sounds like if you were to give people a definition of success, it's you have to define that, but you have to define it for yourself. And the right. minute you you try and externalize that is when you're not being successful. Absolutely. I mean, that's why you know the book's called Enough Already Create Success on Your Own Terms because it has mm. to be your subjectivity. It has to be. I, I have no idea what success means to you. How could I? Yeah. Um, and if you don't know the metrics to your own success, how are you going to get there? Like you don't know, you don't have a compass. You don't know where you're going. And so for me, I think it's just, really radically knowing ourselves. You know, one of my favorite things to say is you never have to try to be yourself. If you're trying, it means you're being somebody else. And I'm not saying that life is like a cakewalk and we don't have to do, you know, anything like life. It can be hard, but some aspect of that hardness feels like we're becoming more of ourselves. There's something natural about it. We're working so hard to break down the things that are holding us back from living our authentic life. And so it's not, you know, and I, I just think, uh, many of us, you know, go back to that, that scenario of having coffee with a best friend. You're not trying, you're just talking and you're probably saying brilliant advice for them and you're having fun and hours are flying by. And when we're trying, we're, you know, being awkward and technical and saying the right thing and doing the right thing. And I just think it's exhausting. And not only is it exhausting, but it's conditional because something in our life can change. If I'm only feeling worthy because I have this great job, guess what? I'm going to retire one day or get fired or my income will change. If I, if my only you know self-esteem is about my relationship, I could get divorced. Tara could pass. Like there's all these things that could happen. Mm-hmm. But if I know what sensitivities make me feel so successful there or there, I'm not saying it's not going to be hard when we go through a divorce or we retire, but I'm saying, we say, oh, that's what felt so good about it. Let me figure out a new way to feel that. Hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. I love the realization that Mike shared. I don't have one shot at this. I have a shot at this every day for the rest of my life. That really feels true about a lot of things to me. When Mike said, if I'm not authentically being myself, I'm destroying my self-esteem. That one hit me pretty hard and I'm, I'm glad I heard it. If you're interested in learning more about Mike or sacred branding, visit mikeiamele.com slash map. That's M-I-K-E-I-A-M-E-L-E dot com slash map. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash a simple life and leave me an audio message with your contact information. To support a simple life with Michael Jeffries, subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating on iTunes, or best yet, share the podcast with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you down the road.